Welcome to Coffee and Change. I'm Bill Kirst. As a business professional, a U.S. veteran, a lifelong learner, and an active listener, I help others navigate, understand, and adapt to our ever-changing workplace and world. As a third culture kid, I call many places home. Presently, Seattle is where I explore my creativity through the power of words and images. In this podcast, we journey with our guests, gaining knowledge and inspiration from their stories. Today's story comes from Amy Lynn Durham, who is the CEO of Create Magic at Work. Amy is also a UC Berkeley certified executive coach. Amy has spent years in the corporate world successfully managing hundreds of employees for both private and publicly traded companies. Create Magic at Work's intention is to offer what Amy calls spiritual intelligence, or SQ, and emotional intelligence, or EQ, to energize and transform the workplace. Enjoy the discussion. Okay, so I am Amy Lynn Durham. I am the founder of Create Magic at Work, the brand, and I'm also the author of Create Magic at Work, the book. And our main goal is to bring heart and human connection to the workplace through spiritual intelligence. So creating magic at work, probably words that people wouldn't necessarily see in that order, thinking in corporations and, and, and companies. Tell, tell us a little bit about uh, <laughs> what that is, what inspired it, and um, what's at the heart of it. So we are not pulling rabbits out of hats. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> yes. And I'll tell you a little bit about my background on what inspired it. I worked in the corporate space for many years. And as I was promoted and became a more higher level leader, I found myself feeling lonely and isolated. And what I did was I created these activities with my team. And when I think back to it now, I'm like, oh, I did that because I was lonely as a leader. And a lot of the data shows that the higher level leaders in companies are the loneliest. And it had hit me afterwards. But anyway, I created these activities to do in the workplace to bring my team together. And so I sort of used my employees as a testing ground for my book, frankly. And um, it was sort of a jumping off point from there. So, uh, Yeah, I, I'd love to, to zero in on something you just said there, how lonely leaders are at work. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned something that I've often felt believed, but rarely said out loud. And that is the higher up you go, the more lonely you become. I think I might've couched it as like leadership is a lonely experience or things like that. Um, I think people are feeling this more than ever. And they're starting to really, you know, accept the fact that it is, it is a, a reality. I was reading an article this morning that talked about, you know, our, our own social, being our makeup is meant to be social, <laughs> um, it's meant to be tribal, it's meant to be in small groups. And here we are now, I think this, literally this week, we're going into a year at this mark mm-hmm. of remote working. 
what are your thoughts in terms mm-hmm. of knowing what you've discovered in this aspect of like creating magic, magic at work really involves essentially battling that loneliness mm-hmm. and then where we're at today and how people are frankly working harder than ever, mm-hmm. longer hours than ever, and more disconnected while also more collaborative than ever using tools like, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Zoom, Teams, things like this. Um, any thoughts on that kind of yeah. a year into this? Yeah, I have a few thoughts on that. So <laughs> I, one thing I want to point out is even pre-COVID, uh, Harvard, Harvard Business Re- Review came out with uh, an art, a data article that talked about the loneliest workers in America. They equated in this research study that feelings of loneliness and isolation was the same um, as far as healthcare costs go as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. When I saw that, uh, it was very impactful because companies don't typically tend to measure data in that way. They look at profits coming in, they look at cost of goods, etc., but they don't look at the stuff that you can't measure as quickly, like productivity, like how long somebody's staying in the job. And the thing is, all of these connecting ways in the workplace through SQ, through EQ, spiritual intelligence, emotional intelligence, actually brings your profits up, brings your productivity up. And you have to just be a little bit patient. You have to be vulnerable. You have to be courageous to try these things. A lot of leaders aren't comfortable stepping forward and being vulnerable in facilitating some of these activities because they're more comfortable sitting in front of a financial data sheet and just hammering out the meeting and, okay, everybody leave and go do what you got to do. So here comes COVID and everyone works from home and then it sort of disrupts. I think there's some good things that, that came out of it because I think that it disrupted where leaders have to trust their people to work from home. You know, I, I think I've heard some other people on some other shows talking about companies that want to measure your time or measure how you're typing on the keyboard. Or even in my old job, they had microphones in the store so they could hear what you were saying. I mean, th- that's ridiculous. Nobody wants to work in a situation like that. So it almost forced the hands of some of these companies to trust in my opinion. And that's a good thing because when someone feels trusted and they feel safe, they're actually going to work harder for you. And it doesn't matter when they do it. If they're going to go watch or pick up their kids from somewhere or go do an activity and then come back and finish the work later, okay, I'm fine with that. Your productivity and your profitability increases and your people stay with you longer. Now, there's that other part of it where people are feeling isolated because they're patching in on Zoom. And then also, they're feeling like their work-life balance is off. I don't know if I want to use that work-life balance phrase, but there's an enmeshment there, right? You're not able to leave work away and check out. You're not able to clock out mentally. And that's, what's, that's what a lot of my clients... I You know, I had one session... I, it's, it's confidential, but I, I had one session with a client who was very high up in a company and we just, the entire coaching session was working on how do I clock out in my brain? 
And that was probably one of the most impactful coaching sessions I've done. And we didn't talk about work. The end result of the session was the individual was going to shut down their laptop and put it away. And they came up with this. They wrote their own prescription. Change out their chair. Move the office chair away and put the dining chair back. Like hide it. Walk upstairs. Change out of their outfit like all of these mental routines, and that's what worked for them. And I would never prescribe anything to anyone else because everyone writes their own prescription in my world. But that's, I don't know if that answered any of your questions. <laughs> yeah, it does. There's a, there's a lot that you shared in there that I, that I would like to also kind of, you know, untangle the, the, the mesh a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, you know, the, the first thing that, that I'd like to touch upon is something I actually talked about in my, with my last guest, which was the, the challenge we have as leaders of turning off the tape at, at the end of the day, you know, turning off the narrative. And, and I talked about this uh, a little bit in the sense of we, we sometimes end up solving things in our head at night. I mean, you and I talked about earlier when we connected, like, how was your sleep? I mean, sleep is, sleep is one of those indicators of, um, you know, how you're, how you're taking care of yourself. And, we have this really hard time of turning off the day or turning off the lingering things and the thoughts. And I also think part of that is exactly what you said, which is we used to be able to move from space to space to space or clock out or have a social interaction that allowed us to quiet the mind in that way and focus on something else. So your, your, your point around ritual, I think, is really powerful, whether it's a ritual of moving a chair, changing out of clothes, um, one of the things I used to do uh, years ago was something that seems small, but it was very helpful. And I used to intentionally leave my power cord for my laptop at work. <laughs> and the reason I would do that is because I knew I essentially had, you know, three and a half, four hours of battery in the laptop that night. So I had, I could do three hours of work, but at some point the batteries come to die. Um, and there's nothing you can do. And I remember, you know, having that discussion with, my boss at the time saying this was a practice I'm going to start doing in an effort to separate the work and the home a little bit. And it was great. It worked, it worked really well. Um, I think the other part of it that, you know, you shared is this aspect of, um, loneliness is also compounded by, by a number of leaders feeling they have to solve everything and be there for everyone in every which way. Um, we're starting to see a lot of you know, data around the, the neuroscience impact on, on the brain and the body of being on camera all day, all, all day long and seeing, and seeing your own image all day long. It's really, it's really interesting. People would think it, it, it's not that difficult, but it is. Imagine, imagine having a meeting where you have to stare in a mirror all day. And you're, you're minding every movement of your own while also trying to listen to the person talking, while also watching their expression, trying to discern, are they upset? Are they focused? Did somebody just walk into their room and they need it? All of those things fire at the same exact time. And when we don't have the ability to actually unpack these things, it can make the whole experience that much more lonely because I think what we're doing is we're, we're snap judging ourselves um, in, these, in these micro moments that add up to a tremendous amount of pressure. Um, and I, and I think that kind of wreaks havoc on us and our bodies. Um, and I'm seeing this a little bit in, in a lot of, 
a little bit in much of the work that I do. And another thing you talked about was this aspect of spiritual intelligence. And I'd love to, to dig into that because when you think about loneliness and combating loneliness, I mean, the human experience, as we talked about, is social. I think it's also innately spiritual. And I want to caution people. I'm, I'm not talking about like the, and I don't think you are either. So we probably need a caveat. When people sometimes hear the word spiritual, they substitute it with things like religion or dogma. I don't think that's what we're talking about, but I would love for you to elaborate on um, spiritual intelligence and what that definition is for you. And then we can jump in further there. Yeah. There's a couple of definitions that I like to go to. Uh, one is from Cindy Wigglesworth. She designed SQ21. So her overall definition of spiritual intelligence is the ability to maintain inner and outer peace regardless of the situation. And it's faith neutral. You can be atheist, you can be agnostic, but as long as you believe that there's a place inside of you that you can access that comes from wisdom and compassion and love, if you feel like you can access that place inside you, which I call your higher self, then you can be spiritually intelligent. And most people feel that way. And you can practice and skill build on these 21 skills that she developed. Um, Dana Zohar is a philosopher and a physicist that's done a lot of work in spiritual intelligence for the workplace as well. And one of her definitions is the ability to put your day-to-day concerns aside and be able to focus on big picture items. So to me, that's sort of putting your ego aside and working from your higher self. So. Yeah, I think it also touches a little bit of, I, you, we hear a lot of like when people are in flow or in yeah. the zone, or I, I like to attribute it to that. It's that sense of, as you said, you have this, your sense of inner peace and outer peace is at this this perfect threshold that almost seems unattainable mm-hmm. normally. <laughs> and when you stop and ask yourself, how did I get here? Oftentimes the answer is, I'm not even sure. And that's how you know you're in flow. It reminds me of a number of conversations that I've had with you know, employees or friends. And, and you know this, you do this in coaching all the time. You'll have these conversations. You'll say the things you say. And sometimes somebody says, what was that thing you, you just said? And you're like, the, the words have kind of come through me. I'm a vessel, mm-hmm. right? I don't really remember the exact words, but it was profound for the person. It was profoundly constructive or deconstructive, depending on how, you know, the situation mm-hmm. they're in. And that's always a reminder to me of that, of that perfect threshold that you're in flow. And to me, when I think about that, what you describe as spiritual intelligence, that's essentially what I'm thinking about. And I get that warm feeling inside, that sense of, I have this wisdom, I have this knowledge that has always been there with me. I think the challenge is, and I'm speaking for myself, but I imagine others will relate. How do I bring that to the board room? Mm -hmm. How do I bring that to the table? Um, You know, there's an aspect of spirituality, even consciousness and and self-discovery that I think a lot of us are afraid to bring through those glass doors. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you you talk with clients a lot about? And, And if so, how does that, you know, how does that discovery proceed? So... It's interesting because when you're working on different things in your life as a coach, I mean, I used to be a corporate executive, but once you start working with clients, you start attracting, you'll notice if you're doing it in the right way, you'll start attracting people that are reflecting things that you need to work on yourself 
or that you've been through in your life. And one of the main themes that were coming up with clients when I was coaching them when I first started was authenticity. How can I be my authentic self in any space? How do I remove these masks that I wear in different rooms? And how can I show up and be who I am everywhere? And that was sort of what my journey was. I was doing all of this spiritual work at home, and it was really impacting me in in an amazing way. And it was impacting me as a leader, and it was impacting my team because I was bringing these things to them, and I was becoming a better leader But I was splitting myself because I was sort of, I was like the mystic at home. (laughs) I totally relate. Yeah. (laughs) And then I was corporate Amy when I showed up to work. And what really helped me was when I decided to leave my job and pursue something else. I I made a plan for a year, Mm -hmm. planned it out. I used my employees as the field test for this book while I was there. And I I wanted to leave number one because I wanted to prove that hey, this is a win-win when you bring people together. Yeah. So um, when, I, when I left and I attended, the, I, I attended the Berkeley Executive Coaching Institute, and that was a transformational experience for me because it was like you can be your full self wherever you are. Yeah. And it really helped me live a more authentic life. And so I started attracting clients that wanted to be their full selves at work too. And that was a rich experience. Then I stumbled upon the 21 skills of SQ, and now we have something tangible Mm -hmm. to ground down into. Okay, um, I mean, there's 21 skills. I'm not going to go through all of them, but I'll give you a story as an example. I didn't score very high (laughs) in uh, being a calm and healing presence, as high as I I wanted to. Sure. (laughs) And... I decided that I was going to work on that for all of 2021. That was my, you can pick one skill just to work on Mm -hmm. for a whole year. And the interesting thing about that is that I didn't think through before I picked it. The universe will rise up to you when you pick something to work on and give you chances to work on it. Yeah. (laughs) So I was like, oh gosh, now I'm getting all these opportunities to be a common healing presence. And I fail sometimes because I came from a competitive environment. I was, you know, feisty. I was, I worked in a quota system. I worked Mm -hmm. for a publicly traded company. So um, it's been interesting. But if you are someone that has kind of explored EQ and you want to move into this place where you want to work from your higher self, Mm -hmm. the ripple effect that you create with your organization, you can't match it. And for anybody that thinks this is woo-woo or... You don't have time to do activities like this with your team. I really, I I, I don't want this to sound harsh, but I really feel like you're going to get left behind. Like this is the new way to run a company and to bring people together. And oh, by the way, you're going to be, have more productive people and be more profitable. And so if you are not willing to step up as a leader and do some inner work, talk about looking in the mirror yeah then the real mirror your your profits are gonna suffer i'll say it right there i'm so i, <laughs> I i'm really glad you said this i i mean there there's there's a part of me that has an understandable nervous energy as you say this because i know how true it is and i know how 
how much it needs to be spoken. And, and probably most importantly, I think about all the people I work with who need to hear this. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's really interesting the way you said there was the mystic Amy <laughs> and there was the corporate Amy. Um, you know, I, I've, ha I've had a very similar path in these past, you know, three to four years where I've done so much inner work, um, gone through a lot of grief, which cracks you open. Um, mm -hmm. and, and your example of kind of picking a skill and, and letting that be the center point for the year is really interesting because I did a similar experience um, a couple of years ago where I picked one word and just kind of let that be the word of the year for me. And, and I think one of the most powerful years in words was, was equanimity. Um, mm. And you know, I've, done, I've done work in the Enneagram. I spent a year studying the Enneagram under an incredible teacher up here in Washington State. And, you know, I've taken things like the DISC assessment and, um, you know, the Myers-Briggs and all of these things. They're, they're really interesting because it becomes like a layer cake of understanding a little bit about yourself, but then also how you move through the world and, and what you attract in the world. And I think it's really interesting how you said that aspect of when you, when you put your mind to something and you ask to work on something, you're manifesting it essentially. You're 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 putting that that frequency out there, and other people will come to you and show up in that. I think this is probably some of the most important work of this generation, and I'm seeing it come through with discussions of the. And I'm going to put in quotes. Not everybody can see this because they're not seeing the video, but the millennial mm -hmm. generation, and then you have Generation Z, and then you know, and we're now even talking about this this forthcoming generation, which they're calling Generation Alpha, because obviously we reset the alphabet, but it's also the first generation mm -hmm. that's going to know a pandemic the way we know it and mm -hmm. all the changes that come with that. So I, so I think it's really pronounced how much people are spending time looking inward. And maybe that's because there's some of the things that facilitated this, right? We've had to literally be inward, be in our mm -hmm. homes, be in our spaces. You can't be distracted by a lot of things that we used to, I personally believe, run to when these feelings of, of inquiry in ourselves mm. came up. We would just, we would run, right? We'd be like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go hit some golf balls or I'm going to go jump on a plane somewhere. No judgment against any of that. But my belief is that those in, internal fires were kind of burning and we weren't ready to pay attention to them. And mm -hmm. so we got distracted. I think now there's many people that are spending time glancing into that fire and seeing, seeing things that, that about themselves. And to me, that's exciting, but also very, there's a healthy nervousness around it. Do you feel that too? I do. I, I, I think that when you were talking about the, the, what sprung up with me was avoidant when you were talking mm -hmm. about hopping on the airplane or... You know, mm -hmm. it was avoidant. It was like, I, I can't face this right now. It's, it's, it's an avoidant type behavior. Right. I, I study the polyvagal theory mm -hmm. a little bit, and I use that with, with my clients, like the red, yellow, green. Are you feeling triggered in that yellow space? Yeah. And that's the fight, flight, or freeze. So maybe we, you were talking about the flight a little mm -hmm. bit, like, mm -hmm. let me run away from right. this. Um, and then also, like, the green space is when you're in your higher self state, like you were talking about being in the zone. Mm -hmm. And I think what you're saying is the chance to do inner work that we've been given from the universe. Yeah. Some people are taking 
an opportunity to do that if they're able to. And there, there are things coming up that's putting us in that yellow zone that I call, and that's the fight, flight, or freeze zone. Mm -hmm. And if you work through that, you can get into green and, and get into flow. You won't be in flow all the time. My gosh, I go yellow, green throughout the day. But if you practice and you skill build, you can get to green and your higher self a little bit more quickly can recognize when you're triggered. Mm -hmm. And then I think uh, before you were talking about, you know, people feeling exhausted because loneliness and isolation can definitely make you feel exhausted. And then the workload that people have, I really want to point out, this is one of my, my favorite things to talk about because it resonates with me so well is if you are a leader in the workplace I really want you to think about if you are being paid for your judgment or your stamina. And I would bet that more often than not, you're being paid for your judgment. And so burning yourself out, proving that you worked all night on a project or whatever over somebody else that you didn't sleep. We were talking about sleep earlier, whatever, whatever that is, that is not impressive. We are impressed if you take care of yourself and sleep well and eat right and come from a healthy mental space where you are making sound judgments for the people that you are in charge of. So I wanted to add that to our conversation. I'm, I'm so I'm so glad we're having this conversation this morning. I, it's, <laughs> it's, it's so interesting to hear someone speak with such conviction on things that have really kicked around my head for a long time. And I really appreciate you saying that because the, the importance, as you said, like the sound judgment, you know, the, 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 the ability to discern. I mean, that's another, that's another, I think that's kind of my word of this year is discernment. And all of that falls away when you're exhausted, when you're undernourished, when you're, you, you know, frazzled, you're not focused. And I agree with you. There's this aspect of, um, well, especially early on. Let me rewind back to the beginning of, of COVID as we understood it. I feel like everybody jumped towards the same purpose, which is good, right? When we have a common purpose that's bigger than ourselves, we can, we can kind of perform in a way that's, that's bigger than self, be self, you know, um, servant leaders, if you will. Mm-hmm. So that common purpose was stay alive, right? Survive, um, take care of the ones you love. Like everybody kind of focused on that. And that came with some additional hours and people were trying to figure things out. And um, we were all being pretty um, flexible while also trying to figure out what, what we needed to figure out. I think at some point, though, your, your, your point is very valid at some point that shifts a little bit to, well, I, I need to be the one that appears to be clocking more hours. I need to be the one who um, is working that much more so that I can survive. And there's diminishing returns in that at some point because we are limited as human beings and you know our body can only do so much. And Heck, we're only using about 10% of our brains anyway, so let's, you know, let's conserve uh, what we can. But I think it's really interesting that shift has then happened where people have started to say, to, yeah, as you were saying, judgment and discernment 
are the currency these days. I really, really think they are. I think this entire year has shown us that. And sound judgment is being valued more from leaders than, as you said, stamina. Um, and I think what's really interesting is the, the reward systems, the accountability systems, the recognition systems, they're still stuck in this, in this old way. But all the, all the expectations and the hopes are shifting towards what you're talking about. So I think at some point there's going to have to be a reckoning. Um, I just hope that some of those leaders can stop and glance in the fire a little bit and, and mm. give themselves a moment um, and, and reprioritize for, for themselves and those that they lead. Because I, I do think... You know, as, as someone who was in the military, I remember, and I can share this story with you because I know you'll appreciate it. When I was uh, working for a general, I was an aide de camp, and um, I was relatively new in my military career, and it was for a two-star general. And she was essentially picking people that she wanted to um, possibly be her aide de camp or her kind of, you know, assistant, if you will. And I ultimately got picked over people that were older than me and more experienced than me. And I remember being very excited about that. So what did I do? Like I jumped into it and I worked like crazy and I was everywhere I needed to be and then some, but I forgot to drink water and I forgot to eat one day because I was running around and I was in the middle of a meeting, going into a meeting and I went from standing completely vertical to horizontal, like completely passed mm-hmm. out. Cause it happens, right? Hypoglycemia, um, mm-hmm. And I woke up on a couch, and a colonel was standing over me. And in my mind, I thought to myself, I, was, I almost thought it was like a little martyr moment. I thought I was going to wake up and be kind of <laughs> consoled by this colonel, like, oh, are you okay? You've been working so hard. You've been putting in these hours. That's not what happened, as you can imagine. This colonel, as we say in the military, tore me a new one. And what he said was, you were not taking care of yourself and your body. So how can I expect you to take care of the general? Like, what if this had happened when you were driving her in the car, right? Your blood sugar got so low. And in that moment, I was reminded that as leaders, you have to take care of yourself if you're expected to take care of others. It was such a profound moment in my career that I, that I share with people a lot because I kept thinking, I had, I, at the time I had it all wrong, which is, you know, I have to put myself last. I have to put myself last. I have to put everybody else first. But you, as a leader, are carrying the responsibility of others, their livelihood, their fortitude, uh, their careers, their dreams in some cases. So, yeah, you do need to take care of yourself. And it's, it's not about stamina. It's about judgment. Mm-hmm. And in that, in, in that story, my judgment was wrong. My judgment not to stop and grab a drink of water and possibly be 20 seconds late <laughs> or my judgment not to eat and instead make sure that everybody else ate. It's a balance at time. And I think sometimes when we think about servant leadership, sometimes people get confused and think you have to put yourself last. Mm. You know, Simon Sinek has a great book, Leaders Eat Last. We say that in the military all the time, right? You make sure your troops go eat, mm. but you don't, you don't skip a meal. Like, you need that meal too. Um, so I share that story from that standpoint of I really appreciate you naming the importance of judgment over stamina, because I think if we're gonna if we're gonna get through a pandemic, if we're gonna get into the new ways of working, 
if we're going to retain the talent we want and attract the talent we want, sound judgment and discernment are going to take a much higher score over stamina. Isn't that amazing? You the it, it, There's so many deep... I mean, we could talk for hours about this, but there's so many deep layers there about how we treat ourselves. Yeah. And then when we start treating ourselves well, there's sometimes there's even shame and guilt in that. Oh, yeah. And... You know, leaving the corporate space and then becoming an entrepreneur, that's a whole nother bag of working through trauma and being, you know, working through perfectionism and things like that. But gosh, it just, when you sharing that story is just, it almost makes me sad that we don't want to take care of ourselves to prove what. Right. Because if you stood me in front of two individuals and said who do you want to work for this person runs himself ragged and doesn't eat and doesn't take care of himself or this individual does a ton of inner work as a leader and he really takes care of himself and tries to make sound decisions for his for their people for Mm -hmm. his or her people who are you going to pick you're going to hopefully pick the leader that takes care of themselves So why, as leaders, do we do this to ourselves? Because you want to attract innovative people. You want to attract people that want to stay working for you. It's almost like we're working through collective trauma in this moment to go back to what you said earlier, overhaul the system. The system needs to be changed. And we're still, it's happening. But we are still working in systems that were patriarchal. And yep. created, I almost want to say, from, like, factory settings, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And that's not the way it is anymore. And people stick to what they're comfortable with. And people... I, I'm going to go too far on the show. I was just going to say something. But people, you know, don't want to change because they're comfortable or they're scared. You know, right. they're afraid. They don't know how to step forward in what this new look is going to be in the workplace and it's coming yeah and if you don't take a look in the mirror and do the inner work as a leader you're going to get left behind Mm -hmm. and the beauty of it is how cool is that you actually get to like work on yourself and heal and grow as a human being as a leader you can learn how to make wise and compassionate decisions you can learn how to be a calm and healing presence whatever your energy is as a leader multiply it by 10 for the individuals that work with you. Yeah. Imagine that ripple effect, but it takes work. Yeah. And you have to overcome that fear. I wrote create magic at work because I had the beer drinking golf guy in mind that I worked with. You know, I worked with a bunch of them. I was like the only woman on the team and they had really great hearts and they wanted to do well. They just, because of the way men are raised, they didn't even know where to start. We don't have a vocabulary for it. It's yeah, very so hard to start when you don't have a syntax, you don't have a vocabulary, and you don't have a structure. We haven't been shown this. Exactly. So that's why I was just like, step one, do this simple thing. You don't have to have a transcendental mm-hmm. meditation moment. You don't have to have, you know, have this feeling that we are all one out of the blue start a meeting and do where everyone shares a piece of gratitude and a failure from last week. 
here you go. See what happens. Right. Something, you know, that small, just to get started, was sort of where I was coming from with the magic book. Yeah, no, I, I'm... Anyway. <laughs> I, I love, I love that, you, that, you, that you state that, even the power of small gratitude reflections. Um, it's... It does. It does strike me as something so interesting because the way that you just the way that you said, who wouldn't want to work on themselves? Like I, I, I think I speak for a lot of leaders. When you look at your calendar, right, all the things that you want to do for yourself, they just keep falling and falling and falling and falling and falling and falling until they're past five p.m. And then it's that aspect of like, okay, well, do I do this or do I spend time with family or? Do... I think what you're saying, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what I'm hearing you say and I feel is. No, don't let that thing fall down the calendar. Like, block it off. Spend the time. It's, it is the most important investment. It can give you the strongest ROI, return on investment, because as you said, for every moment that you give yourself and you show up in, in a way that is vulnerable, genuine, restorative, multiply that by 10x for the people that are in your sphere of influence, the ripple effect, if you will. Um, and I and I also think it's it's a little bit scary, because you, like you said, we've we don't really have many demonstrations of this behavior from before. So if I'm looking to maybe those that came before me or those that are above me in a hierarchical system, and I don't see it, the challenge is I think to myself, well, he or she is successful, so I must mimic and and model that behavior. That is where the danger begins. <laughs> Because I actually believe people should be more empowered, as you've described. They have knowledge within themselves and they have wisdom. And if something in you says, that's not how I want to move through the world, that's not how I want to, to show up, my ask of people would be, listen, listen to that inner voice. Understand that that could be a risk, right? It may not lead to that promotion. It may lead you to le- leaving a corporation and becoming a solopreneur. We never know. We never know. But I'm a firm believer, having done a lot of this work, that that inner, that inner voice, that inner flame, that inner knowledge is not going to steer you wrong. It, you just might need the world to catch up <laughs> in some ways. Is that how it felt for you when you, when you jumped? <laughs> That's funny you say jumped. Um, when I decided to leave my job, I put a, an end date down that I didn't tell anyone about because mm-hmm. I wanted to you know, finish out in a positive way. But I left on a break, and I was in a little shop, and there was a magnet um, just screaming to me yeah. on the hook, and it said, leap, and the net will appear. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is weird. <laughs> I almost got, like, goosebumps, so I bought it. It's still on my refrigerator today. Um, so, so, yeah, the... the <laughs> I don't know if that answers your question, but you reminded me of that story of leap, and the net will appear. And then I, I was also thinking when you're talking about how we model success and how we look at leaders that we think are successful, I really want to challenge everyone listening to do some inner reflection on what success looks like to you. Yeah. And that's a, that's a big coaching question out there. What does success look like to you? It doesn't look the same for everyone. I think in the past we were sort of, you know, almost I almost feel like robotic and yes I get a house I get a car I get the office I get a pay raise I get more money it's not like that anymore no 
people don't even care about that stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, not everybody, right? Right. So what does success look like to you? Does it look like I have more time with my family and it's valuable to me? Write that down. Mm -hmm. Then that leads me to, you know, have you taken a look at what your values are? Have you written them down and stack ranked them and prioritized them? That's a SQ exercise that I personally hadn't done. I was Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I know what my values are. You know, I'm good. Um, I needed to really dive into that and, and stack rank them. So my values came up spirituality first, health, mm-hmm. m- meaningful relationships, and then meaningful work. So I can go to that stack rank yep. when I'm making a, an important life decision and see if it aligns. It's a great go-to um, to utilize for that. So, you know, success is different to everyone and define your own success. Yeah. I, it reminds me of, if you, if you recall, you know, when you sit down in, um, to get your eyes checked at the eye doctor and they've got that thing that they pull up to your face and it's kind of rest against your brows. And then they, they have the lenses that flip in, right. And they say, uh, a or B like one or two. And it's like slightly variant, you know, and you think, and you have to tell them, is this one better Then they turn the lens a little bit and they, I always found that really fascinating because it's, you know, you're, 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 you're sharpening your focus every time, but there's always a little bit of pressure, right? You're like, I think A, I think B. And the poor doctor's <laughs> like, it's not a test. It, it, these are your eyes and I want you to see the world in the best way. So just answer honestly. I find that exercise of the values, and I did this this past year where I wrote them down and mm-hmm. I put them in a place that was very visible. I was kind of using an Instagram account that not many people follow and I don't really care. But to me, it's mm-hmm. a canvas. It's a canvas of me to put mm-hmm. things out there and, and, and hold myself accountable in some ways. And I put those values out there and it was really interesting because the same thing happened you described. I would be in a really interesting situation and I would say, hang on, pull those back up, right? Three or four of those. And one of those was creativity. Mm. Like it's really important for me to, cre- to create mm-hmm. in this world to make something, be it visual, be it audio, uh, be it sensory. And, and I was able to make a decision based on that because I pulled that up and it was almost like those lenses popping in. Is this better than this or is this better? Because there was a nuance. Like, it was slight. I could have gone mm-hmm. one way. I could have said, you know, a different answer. But just pulling up those values sharpened that view and I was able to proceed. And things look really that much, that much better, that much clearer, and, and frankly, that much more hopeful. So I think it's a great exercise that people need to do, but you're right. It's a, it's kind of a scary exercise. Yeah. Well, and also it's an, ex- you, you have my, me thinking all this, it's also an exercise in aligning, like you made a decision. It helped you make a decision that aligned with your values, having them written down. And when your actions match what you say you are, mm-hmm. you're happier right. or you're more at peace, let's say, right? Because we're not having because to split who we are. Exactly. And you didn't betray yourself. Yeah. Right. Really cool. And I mean, oh my gosh, that's a daily practice sometimes, mm-hmm. right? Or even minute by minute. And it's okay. You'll, you mess up. Mm-hmm. You might commit to something or do something where you have to walk it back. You know, the, the other key with that is don't be... This is a big learning lesson I went through personally. You know, don't be so scared that the decision you make 
is going to be wrong and that you'll shatter on the other side. Yeah. Finale, Just, finality and it's scarcity. <laughs> it's like, exactly. Even if it's the wrong decision, you're not going to shatter. Mm-hmm. And Oh, by the way, you can walk it back at times too. Yeah. So recognize, repair, recover. Mm-hmm. I always say that too. Yeah. I, I love, I love the way you even talked about this in the beginning. It was like, I, I got this picture as you were talking about it, like a laboratory and this, this generous, invitation every single day into a laboratory, right? It's a laboratory. We're going to learn. <laughs> we're going to do some stuff. Sometimes the experiment's going to go great. Sometimes it's not, but we're going to learn. We're going to remember not to mix that with that because it blows up. <laughs> um, and then probably more importantly, we're going to learn to mix that and that and that, which actually is a cure-all for, for whatever mm. this is. Um, that's one thing I've tried to instill, even for myself, that every single day you go into work, or what you know kind of step out there and and take on the challenges think of it as a laboratory you're going to learn um at the end of the day you're going to close up the laboratory you're going to go home go to bed get some good sleep like we've talked about and then you get to return to it um you know you have that there's always the next day you know that that aspect of day one Mm -hmm. i think it's just a little gentler way to be with ourselves as as leaders as those that inspire people um, but sometimes we forget that because we get caught up, as you said, in, I'm going to call it the shame game of, mm-hmm. you know, when somebody intentionally or not shames you into doing a certain behavior because that's the way they learned, right? That was what was modeled for them. And I, I really like that you use the word betrayal because it's often something that people think of is like you betrayed someone else, but you put it on the table as you betrayed yourself. Mm-hmm. Like it is important that we also equate the enormity of that word to ourselves. Like, stop and ask yourselves, are you, are you betraying yourself, like who you truly are? And that's where work, like you said, through the, you know, the 21 um, skills that you talked about or the Enneagram, yeah. those, mm-hmm. those have been really helpful for, for me and for many other people because it forces you to ask yourself that question, am I being true to myself? Yeah, and also resources if, if you can. You know, a really good coach I it's I'm it's interesting to me that the word betrayal came up in this in this show because I that's a word that I've struggled with and I said it and then you picked up on it and one I had my mentor coach name that to me and I haven't used that word in a really long time but you know in coaching we call it naming where Mm -hmm. you you mirror back and she said Amy I just want to tell you you've used the word betrayal multiple times in our conversation and I said no I didn't I didn't even know right and so I took that word and I wrote down what it meant to me and I just let it go I I I I was like I am getting rid of this whether it's me betraying myself or whatever attachment I have because clearly I had some sort of attachment to it and I just I did it on the full moon it was a releasing moment and I wrote down what um that word meant to me and I just like let it go I lit it on fire yeah and so words are power just and, yes and rituals are great for letting things like that go in your life and removing the power from them yeah I there, yeah. it's so it's so interesting you mentioned that because I remember reading last week there was something that I that I read is also as part of kind of the full moon that we just had this past weekend which was an intense mm-hmm. intense weekend was. <laughs> I was like can, 
can I get a pass, please? <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Can I just have one break? Right, like, um, but one of the things I read was thoughts that fire together wire together. And it, it all had to do with this aspect of, as you said, that we, we're, we're saying this word all the time. We don't really understand how we're using it, where it's coming up, but it's fusing, no question. It's fusing across our synapses in our brain. And mm-hmm. what's beautiful about your story and sharing that is you wrote the word down, you did a little ritual, a little fire ceremony, throw it in the fire, off it goes. You're releasing that, that's, that sort of prison, which is the thoughts that fire together, wire together. You, you, you stopped that fusing from happening in your, in your neural synapses without getting too geeky about it. But it's that mm-hmm. powerful. I mean, people don't understand it, but it's that powerful. That's why something like a ritual, writing something down, I often tell people this, if it's kicking around in your head, if it's firing back and forth like a hockey puck, put it somewhere. Write it down. Mm-hmm. It don't have to do anything with it, but just release it from the inner back and forth. Um, and then the, the power of even a ritual beyond that is either a fair, fire ceremony or I've seen something where people have written the word down and then used art in ways of let that be the beginning of a drawing. So the word might mm. be betrayal, but then what, what do you, where do you start on what letter do you start making lines or triangles? And before you know it, this word has transformed into a pattern or an image that brings a whole different perspective to it. I've done that exercise a number of times and I didn't realize how much I was packing into the word and, the last thing I'll, I'll say here is I often repeat to people, words make worlds and words matter. Mm-hmm. And that's why this inner work is really important because it goes back to our vocabulary and our syntax. Um, it's also why I'm an avid reader, right? I read all sorts of fiction. I read all sorts of science fiction. I read books about neuroscience because these are demonstrations and examples of how people describe how they see the world. And if you can mm-hmm. increase your vocabulary that way or ways of expressing, you'd be surprised how much gen- generosity you afford yourself as a result. Huge, huge. Awareness of other worldviews, awareness of the limitations of human perception, all of those things are, are packed into to what you said there. Yeah. Yeah. So as we, I, I can't believe 49 minutes have flown by, by the way. <laughs> Um, again, in flow, right? This is really great. I also, right? I also did a meditation this morning before we connected and um, through Headspace, which I'm a huge fan of. And it was mm. really interesting. I, I, it was on grieving. And mm. I, I feel like there's so much collective grief, and you named kind of the collective trauma that people are in right now. And I didn't necessarily wake up this morning thinking I was going to start my day with a meditation on grief. But I'm really glad I did um, because I think it opened me up in different ways. So, mm-hmm. so one of the last questions I think I'd, I'd love to ask you is around the sense of collective grief. Um, mm-hmm. People are feeling it. People are really weighed down by it. When you think about the emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. the spiritual intelligence, the work that you're doing with clients and, for, and with yourself, what, what advice, I don't want to say advice because it's a hard one, right? But maybe mm-hmm. what, what insights do you have around the sense of collective grief that all of us are carrying and, 
how does it inform us? How does it, how does it show us gifts? Hmm. I don't want to sound cliche when I talk about that, but so the dark night of the soul, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The, the hero's journey. Yeah. And you talk about life being a laboratory. So if you can somehow, even in your darkest moment, I'll just le- maybe leave it at this, be grateful for your breath. Okay, I'm breathing today. And that's enough. That's okay. I'm going to cry. <laughs> um, you can slowly take micro steps out of that, out of those moments. So, um, and also, I think a big part of healing the collective grief is um, making compa- part, part of making compassionate and wise decisions is understanding the other person's point of view as much as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, I always, lately, this has been a huge theme with leaders because huge judgment comes up during times of grief, during times of political strife, and things like that. How can you hold space for those individuals that you feel might harm you? Uh, things like that. So I, I maybe we'll, I'll leave everyone with, the Moses Code. I don't know if you've heard of that. I I've love not. it. It's it's one of my favorites. It's on. You can watch it on YouTube. It's. They basically say that the Bible was misinterpreted, where God said, "I am that I am," and that He didn't say it that way, and that He said, "I am that I am." The comma was after that. All so right. we are all one, and um, you can practice that in your day. When you're feeling grief, other people are going through grief. If you're driving down the street in your car, you can point to anyone. Just, I am that. I am. Mm -hmm. It's powerful. Wow. Um, If you do it throughout your day, it will shake you up as you practice it. I am that. I am. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, this is a really, really awesome conversation. I'm so glad we got to do this mid in the middle of the week. Um, where can people find more about you, connect to you? Uh, I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of listeners that are going to want to reach out because this was a really um, soul-stirring conversation, which I appreciate. But would love for you to share where people can reach out, find out more about Magic at Work and the work you're doing. Yeah, thanks, Bill. So createmagicatwork.net. Everything's there. If you want to be a magic maker, come join us. <laughs> I'm on LinkedIn. I do a weekly workplace message of the week where I pull a card from a, my journal prompt card deck and I post questions for you to ponder for the week that are inspirational. So you have your own answers from within. So check me out there. And um, yeah, you can get all the resources on my website, SQ21, my book, everything, all the podcast interviews, Great. more on, uh, more on that. If you need to, some inspiration or some creativity to jump off of. So thank you so much. I appreciate you sharing your time, um, and your wisdom. This is really powerful and I'm excited for it to find its way into the ears and hearts of many people. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. 